What's up, beautiful world? Thank you for tuning in to Just Two Guys Talking. Today's episode is going to be about freedom of speech. And we're going to break into the Lindsay Shepard case that happened about two years ago. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the Heterodox Academy. These are big things to both Guy 1 and Guy 2. And I am super excited to be bringing this topic to you. So this topic is a very interesting one because a lot of people have a lot of different opinions and views about what freedom of speech is. And before we jump into that topic, I really want to encourage you, the listener, to listen to what we are bringing to the table. Listen to the ideas. And then if you feel so compelled, if something jumped out at you, or if something you just want us to elaborate a little bit further on, or you have an opposing point of view, we want to hear it. Send us an email to info at justtwoguys.co, and that's the number two. Or send us a message on Instagram at justtwoguyspodcast. So kick back, enjoy, and, you know, have fun. What's up, everyone? Thank you for tuning in. Today we're going to be talking about freedom of speech so guy number two what are you what are you thinking over here well let's let's start like this for the listener i want you to imagine a world where you can say whatever you want you don't have to worry about being shunned socially you don't have to worry about shame personally and you don't have to worry about guilt that overwhelming gnawing notion that you have to fix something in someone else's eyes. Now I want you to imagine a world where you don't get to say what you want, where not only do you have to be inhibited, but you actually have to be silenced in order to feel safe and in order to protect the the social face that you show every day, your persona. Imagine a world like that. I want you to ask yourself, which world do you believe you live in? And which world would you rather be in? That's fair. That's where I, that's where I want to start off today. Yeah, uh, that's a really good, uh, j- uh, like, leaping off point. And, you know, me personally, to answer that question, I would rather be living in a world where we're able to speak speak our minds and, and the way I think about it as as long as what you're saying doesn't, uh, I forgot who said this. I, I know so, uh, one of the presidents. I feel like said this is like as long as it doesn't touch the tip of my nose. Yeah. Then we're good. But and the moment this tip of my nose. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'm also not one for uh, to to like you know share hateful speech with another. So e- even though I say I want to be in a in, in like the freer of the sides that that you just described. I still catch myself saying, well, you know, if this. Right, right. And we've talked about it many times on the podcast. We've, we've, we've alluded to it, if nothing else. This, what we've referred to and others have referred to as the postmodern movement, the neo-Marxist movement, whatever you want to call it, because that, that's where things get very, very, as those are, are foundational bases within subjective, you know, subjectivity, it becomes kind of muddled when we try and describe what those things even are. So I think the best way to describe those things is to describe them by their behaviors. What are some red flags that we should be looking out for in the world? 
And it comes down to censorship. It comes down to compelled speech and it comes down to censorship. Those are two different things, but they, they fall on, this, on the extreme ends of a continuum. Mm-hmm. Compelled speech being you have to speak this way. This is what you're allowed to say. In fact, this is what you have to say. Yeah. And then you have censorship where it says, again, this is what you're allowed to say, and this is what you're not allowed to say. And you see it in the media a lot. I, I've noticed, I notice it, I think I've noticed it mostly on CNN, but I, I also have definitely seen moments where there's some normal, uh, there's some norms on Fox News, let's say, mm-hmm. where they have some things that they can and can't say and, and, and topics they can, they can approach and, and not approach. But the number one uh, area where I've noticed it in my life and where I think it's emanating out of is actually academia. Mm. Uh, it, 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 according to Jonathan Haidt, social psychologist who, who uh, is a moral psychologist who works at uh, Stern Business School up at, at NYU, he and his colleagues say that around 2014, uh, administration started seeing a very different kind of student showing up in academia. Students that essentially were more or less very, very sheltered, that felt entitled to a certain menu. So when a teacher gives you a syllabus, yeah, that's your menu, right? Here's your course. Here's what you're going to eat for the next I'm, I'm like, I'm already sensing safe spaces is coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, the irony is not lost on me, and I'm sure it's not lost on you that like what we've done in this podcast is create a safe space for people who want to talk in a, in a quote-unquote maybe uh, less restrained not even quote unquote, a less restrained way, but because yeah. of, because of, of the, the, the climate currently, and because of how easy it is to, to remove somebody from, uh, uh, let's say a position they've cultivated and worked on. That's why we, we did this in the first place in part was to protect ourselves, right. protect we other had, people. We had to create a safe space from the safe spaces because they were closing down ideas and we're opening up the ideas. How ironic is that? Yeah, and that sounds like not the world I want to be in. It's but, not hey. the world we want to live in. It's totally not. So Dr. Haight said, um, I, always, I always mess up his name, Haight or Haight, H-A-I-D-T. He and his colleagues basically said in 2014, these guys started showing up who uh, not only um, were, were demanding that professors do a certain thing, but they would, in a public format, in a public forum, call you out in order to raise themselves up in the eyes of whatever uh whatever social movement that they were trying to uh put forth Mm -hmm. and in order to lower you in in terms of status that's their claim and you know fast forward from 2014 to 2020 we are now in the era of cancel culture where people can come you know they can bring up your past and remove you from your current show and it doesn't matter if you've changed or, or even if like what you did wasn't that big of a deal. There's an online mob that anonymously can dismantle and destroy your life. And that's wild. It's super wild. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's incredibly alarming. Um, for me, what kind of pops in my mind is like when we're talking about 2014, one, I got to say 2014 is a very interesting year yeah. um, because there's so much to unpack in 2014 and what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm alluding to is that even like for me, this is like almost another topic, but that was when like the medical industry really took a hit. And that's not what we're talking about today, but I just find 2014 a very interesting year because all these huge changes started arising and coming up. And 
the other thought that I had was uh, postmodernism. This kind of, for me, bleeds into uh, the freedom of speech topic because with the rise of postmodernism, there's nothing in, in my mind, if you're a classic postmodernist, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because typically what I've noticed and seen is that there's some morals and some ethics that you know, a classic postmodernist will follow. But with today's, uh, with the postmodernism, you know, growing with the cultures, what I've seen, and just to give a little bit of a background of what postmodern uh, modernism is, essentially is whatever you believe to be true, it's subjective, but nonetheless, you know it to be true for you. So that truth is essentially true wherever. As long as you believe it to be true, it can be held to almost the same degree as objective truth. Right. Um, and, that's, and that's not how I like to operate. And what I've seen in a lot, and I, I'm pretty sure this is like where, where we're heading on this topic, is that when you know we have all these objective truths in the world and with the hyper individualism that we have in in the world such as in America we allow people to make up new terms as they go new words new groups mm -hmm. and it's it's all just to undermine a previous group typically Sure. Sometimes we do need a, a new change in a word or a new word to come along to categorize something or label something. But what I've been seeing is that people just for hyper-individualistic reasons will create a new group to stifle the growth and obtain more power and create a false reality within this new word under the, sky, under the skies of postmodernism, which is a bastardization of postmodernism to begin with. Right. And, and, and if I, if I, but go if for I it, jump yeah. in there, I think one of the important things that you noted was there's a classic postmodernism and there's a modern day postmodernism. And the key difference is the modern day postmodernism took that subjective reality element and it infused itself with a Marxist uh, framework, a narrative framework. So the way that works like this, in the Marxist framework, there were the bourgeoisie, so that's the, the essentially upper middle class, the upper class, and then there were the proletariat, that's the working class at the bottom. In the Communist Manifesto in uh, 1848, written by Karl Marx, he was writing uh, essentially about Russia and how it works with the have and have-nots, and that essentially people at the bottom, the working class, had a quote-unquote privileged perspective on how how reality worked and that their, that their version of reality was the objective truth through subjective experience and that the bourgeoisie who he thought never dirtied their hands ever businessmen and the like said that they uh they don't have a a warranted view you fast forward to the late 1900s and what you get is third wave feminism starting to creep up and they started to use um they used standpoint theory and standpoint theory is the same theory as what Marx was putting out in, in 1848. The theory is this, if you are from a disenfranchised group of people, a marginalized, a minority, then you have an opinion that is, again, they like the word privilege. It's privileged above uh, that of somebody who's not in one of those minority statuses. You get six minority statuses in general, you know, six, six to seven minority statuses in general. And each one, have it has a certain variant of 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 privilege or or 
um, verifiable truth related to each other. Mm -hmm. So generally speaking, a white man is considered the most privileged and powerful. And so he is the most disenfranchising of them all. He would be, in Marx's view, the bourgeoisie. Mm. Then you take, you go down from there, you get a white woman. A white woman would be second, but she's a woman. So she is in a, in a secondary class, according to them, in relation to men. Because historically, women were disenfranchised and men were, were powerful. You can't, you can't dismiss that. Then below that, you end up uh, kind of muddling the works. You get into uh, people of color, male versus female. Again, being a, a person of color and a woman obviously gives you more of a, an objective understanding of subjective experience about yeah. how the world works. So you just keep going, you just keep going, keep going, keep going. And it's like trying to compare one person's set of circumstances to another and you'll never get to the bottom. Yeah. Recently, and this kind of segues us over, I think, if, you, if, if you're open to talk about uh, the case that we discussed. Totally. And I just want to uh, just add one point. Uh, it sounds like what you're describing to me is classism. Like, well, totally. a lot yes. of people today would be like, oh, that's it's a very classist, classic, uh, not classic, but classism way of viewing the world where totally we're like, essentially what I'm also hearing is like, we're grouping people together saying we have this much power mm -hmm. and the others were demifying. Uh, and then it sounds like, um, it sounds like the, when you move up in the, in the status, let's say, you know, you move from a proletariat, but then you come into money, you're no longer a proletariat and your opinion no longer matters. Is that exactly. what I'm hearing? Like that is a hundred percent the case. And that's what happened in Russia. The bourgeoisie who identified as working class, as far as I can tell, Try to try to support those at, at, in the working class, the proletariat, thinking, we're, yeah, we're simpatico. I used to be where you are, and I want to help you get up to the top. But once that happened, once the proletariat rised up, um, what they started to do is purity tests, which is what we're seeing now with call-out culture and cancel cultures, these purity tests to see if you're actually with us. And these groups, they demand loyalty. Mm -hmm. Loyalty is paramount, and group identity is paramount. Okay, so that, that's important to remember those two features of it. Um, so what happened was, you know, I learned a lot of this initially from Jordan Peterson. And I really loved his lectures, his psychological lectures. But as I got more and more involved, and, and we'll bring him back into the equation here in a second, with what he was experiencing in Canada, um, I, I started to see that what he was trying to describe, I, I, I started educating myself on the history of this. And it took me the better part of the last two and a half, three years to really get my mind around how this operationalizes, how this works. But yes, it's total classism. Everything's based upon a power hierarchy, which is, is, is not a beneficial or helpful way to conceptualize hierarchies. Hierarchies are meta, right? They go across domains. They don't go from one domain to the next. You, you can have all the power you want in one context and none of the power in another context. You can have... Uh, you can have all the authority in one context and none in another context. Like they, 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 they weave into each other. So in, in terms of hierarchies being like, let's say a pyramid, mm -hmm. let's just say, let's say there's a pyramid of power and at the top 1% power is up there. Okay. That's one pyramid based on power. How does it, you, you have to take a look at that pyramid across time, across context, across people, across predispositions, across personalities, across cultures it's so vast i can't even name it all there's several pyramids that all overlap each other so there's this this 
really myopic view of saying it's all a power dynamic. There's one pyramid that we focus on. And it's, it's of course, if you focus it on like that, think Egyptians and, and slaves. It's just kind of like that, that thought process. It's like, if I'm at the bottom of the pyramid, clearly I'm closer to slavery than I am kingship, you know, kingship at the top. Yeah. It's just a, it's, it's an implicit, it's an implicit understanding. It's implicit bias and it's totally um, error driven. So two years ago, there was a case uh, that I didn't really follow initially. I didn't understand the importance of the case. A young lady up at Wilfrid Laurier, uh, is, which is a university in, in uh, I think it's Ontario in Canada. Uh, Lindsay Shepard, a master's student, a TA, was thrown into the fire of, of postmodern and neo-Marxist thought in a big, big way. Um, here's what happened. I'll give a, a brief overview. Lindsay Shepard was teaching a communication course, if I remember correctly, something along a sociological communi communication course. And at the time, the subject that she had for these 18 and 19-year-old students, full adults, was that she was going to teach them about pronouns. But according to Lindsay, the, the syllabus she was given by her, her, uh, her boss, which is a professor, Rambucana, um, is, was, was dry and she was losing the students. So she came in with a debate between Jordan Peterson and another professor uh, where they were debating. Uh, it wasn't even a debate. It was really a conversation. It had some debate-like elements, but it was a conversation. Conversations have debate-like elements. And they were discussing uh, alternative pronouns, general neutral pronouns in, in English language, which uh, anyone who is a, an English major knows that classically English with pronouns has, has, has taught pronouns as being what's called a closed linguistic category. Uh, this is according to, John, uh, to, to Jordan Peterson, and, and you can look this up. It's, it just is what it is. It doesn't mean it can't be changed, but that's how it's always been conceptualized in the English language. So they were discussing the merits of that. And I'm not even going to get into that, that, that conversation because it's neither here nor there. But she taught that to three classes. Uh, she was just trying, she was neutral. She was just trying to get the, the conversation going because she was trying to teach her class, according to her, what the large scale implications are of, of grammar and language. As we, as we were talking about earlier, as you were mentioning, guy number one, uh, you know, words is a big, is a big thing on your mind. It's on my mind too. How are we utilizing our words and, and what, what do they mean? They're powerful, totally. right? They're totally powerful. So of course, if we change our pronouns, that has a cultural implication for us in a and big I, way. I also want to just jump in. Sure. Um, cause like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason, one of the reasons why she brought up this video about these pronouns was because Canada has been going through some changes in their law where they have to yes. recognize these pronouns anyways. So yes. So Bill C-16 is what you're referring to. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm looking at it right now and it doesn't really go into detail on my end about all the pronouns that they must recognize, but sure. it, it seems rather vague and, and really open to interpretation on what any kind of pronoun, whether if it's coming or leaving right. uh, can be recognized, which is, um, really scary uh and and just to clarify a little bit further so lindsay lindsay shepherd she's in this classroom she wants to entice the students um to bring their attention back into the class she's a ta so she's already read over the teacher syllabus she wants to give something a little bit more dynamic for the students they've already learned all the basic pronouns to write you know in via english and now 
there's this opinion because they're in college and they're getting ready, quote unquote, for the world. She was just like, okay, let's get a little bit more dynamic and have this conversation where um, it sounds like she didn't say she was either for or against. She was just um, giving the students an opportunity to hear that, hey, there are other pronouns that you're going to have to come, uh, come up against. And here is uh, some views. Take it in with what you will. Is, it, is that right? That's 100% right. She was like, Here are, here's a current movement uh, within our language. We have a living language. It can change. Mm-hmm. And that's what she was bringing to the table, I feel, is that she was saying, here are some pronouns you'll have to get familiar with. Or, or she didn't even bring up the pronouns, I don't think. I think she brought up just the topic. What are the social implications of adding pronouns to English? You look at other languages, like let's say German, which English is a Germanic Latin language. You look at German, though, specifically, they do have neutral pronouns. It's actually part, according to a friend of mine who, who speaks German fluently, why it's so hard to learn the language sometimes. I, I personally, I speak some Spanish, and I, I, I speak decently well, near, near fluent, um, but not quite there. But you get when different languages have different nuances to them, like genderizing words in, in, in Spanish, it's really hard for an English speaker initially because we don't, we don't have that many gendered um topics we might call a ship she or or a car she but that's yeah. more like a colloquialism than it is like a pronoun totally germany in german you have some neutrality between how you refer to things in that english doesn't have that and she was bringing that up we don't we've never had that it's just never existed so it wasn't in the foundation of the language it was it was removed and or at least it wasn't utilized so she does this, yeah, she shows it to the class. She's just trying to get a dialogue going about what the implications of adding these pronouns are. By the by, if you look up gender neutral pronouns, this is, this is what makes it very confusing, is that you have a running list of 25 plus possible pronoun uh, uh, permutations and, and conceptualizations. There's the singular they saying, you know, talking, talking about instead of saying he or she is saying, you'd say they are saying or, you know, using they in the singular, which we've never, we don't really do in English. And so she's bringing up this, this conversation. Fast forward, she's brought in with three professors. Uh, I, think, I think they had tenure, I'm not sure. One of them being Dr. Ram Buchanan, who was, in my opinion, unfair and extremely, ide- extremely ideologically possessed, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. He kept, Sorry, he kept, you're going to ask catch me up. I was reading this document sure. right to my right about the pronouns that they're allowed to use in... Canada and what to do if they do something wrong, such as, you know, if I were to go up to someone and say, hey, my pronoun is they and them, and they say he, then essentially, it sounds like they're, they're trying to give now in 2020 a little bit more cushion um, for the regular everyday average person, but still not for academia. No, so this was to protect the trans community. Uh, it actually had it has no bearing in academia. It's a it's in, in Canada at least, uh, from my understanding, it's a campus by campus uh, set of rules and guidelines for this, mm. which Dr. Rambucana and his colleagues uh, attempted to um, to use uh, the laws of Canada in a unsanctioned what what would be described as tribunal and interrogation yeah. of of Lindsay of Lindsay Shepherd and. Uh, it doesn't even fit. So 
but this all started really because, you know, the reason she was showing Jordan Peterson was he was, he was against the way this law was written. He wasn't against protection for trans people. He was against compelled speech. Yeah. Because you can bring someone into a civil suit if, if they don't use the right pronoun is what this was suggesting. And he's like, for, for, for perspective and background, Jordan Peterson's one of his main uh, occupations is he studies the psychology, the social psychology behind the Nazi regime. Uh, he started his his dissertation work at McGill University, uh, working on uh, the communist regime, looking at Soviet Russia because he was getting doing that during the 80s, during uh, you know the Cold War, and he's trying to figure out like where he fit into all of that. So he's he's tracked these these uh, patterns over time. Yeah, and he said, no, 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 I've seen this before. We're not doing it. He's like, you can, you can ask me to say something. You cannot force me to say. Totally. Yeah. I I like the way you described that. Yeah. Uh, compelled speech is, I mean, just to break it down into my, my own, my own language, essentially, it's just like, if you were to be like, Hey, call, call me Zer and Zyre. And, and we were doing a business transaction of sorts, Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. I'm giving a lecture on something and you are saying, Hey, um, everything you just said, I don't agree with you did not identify me at all and you did not respect me and I want you to change your language to the way I identify and if you don't this is going to happen so it's almost like what you're saying is like hey we're going to stifle you if you don't speak the way we speak and when you do speak the way we speak we're still going to utilize the language we develop to condemn you even further because you're going to slip up Right. You're going to say something in a, in a weird way. And we, we haven't clued you into every single nuanced way of utilizing our pronouns. Sure. And this comes from a group of people who, who uh, you know, change is slow. It's never the speed we want. And instead of fostering tolerance, which is the precursor, it's the stage before acceptance, they're not, they're just going to say, okay, we're going to compel acceptance, mm-hmm. but we're not going to compel actual acceptance, which unfortunately is just a recipe for, for, uh, uh, not repression. What's the word I'm looking like for? Conformity. Like yeah, conformity, large, but there's a there, it, resentment, you know, you're going to resent yeah. if somebody, you know, there's a Carl Rogers, uh, quote that everyone knows is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. You're just drowning somebody. If you, if you force them to do this and what, what these individuals are doing, although I think they think that what they're doing is, is right and just and righteous, but it's subjective to them because it's subjective to them and they see the world as, as victim and victimizer, uh, again, power dynamics. Yeah. They are saying, uh, we're going to, we're going to force you to say this and then there won't even be a transition to a new way of speaking. Um, there, you know, we, we want to get rid of the cultural lag element of this and say, you know, culture takes too long to catch up to, to what people want. And I get that they're trying to protect trans people. There are a lot of crimes and a lot of, uh, and a lot of, I mean, statistically, there are a lot of crimes and a lot of abuse uh, imposed and, and, and aimed and targeted at trans people, historically and probably presently. Yeah. But you're not going to make it better by forcing people to do what you want. You know, the civil rights movement is still going on. Really, it's still going on right now. It takes time. It's gotten better than it was, but it took time. I would love to snap my fingers and make it all go away. I think most thinking and feeling humans would, but you can't do that when you force somebody to stare at something they don't want to stare at it's like burning them in the eyes and that's that's why all these things that have been coming out like uh white fragility i've started reading that book it's well written 
But unfortunately, you're just running the risk of, of eliciting a response in someone where they feel so uncomfortable yeah. that the subject matter and what it's related to are no longer on the table. No, I agree. And on the note of white fragility, that book, I'm not a big fan of that book at all. That is mm -hmm. one person's point of view. It's subjective. She is a, uh, in what you would call like a corporate psychologist. She's trying to get money from corporations by going in and saying, I need to teach you racism classes all because she felt racist. Like, I just don't agree with that whole book. And that whole book to me, like, I'm going to be very biased on this one. I'm picking a side. I'm not for it. I think it, it generalizes one person's point of view. And that's it. Every, everyone is unique in, their, in, in, a, in a very specific way that we're human mm -hmm. and that we all have different experiences. And just the fact that you're white doesn't make you racist. And I, and I said it, like, that's just the way it is. Yes. But since we're on this topic, it's, it's the fact that it sounds like a lot of people are overgeneralizing and saying yes. if you have, um, you know, if your skin tone is white, you have privilege, you have power, you know, in some degrees, I, I, I'm just to clear the air. If you're a white person and you're able to walk away from racism, yeah, that's one form of privilege, but it's not earned. Privilege means you earned it. It's just a ramification of your skin color and the social dynamics of that's set up in today's society. It's not because one earned it. It was just because that's just the way the game was played. Let's play forward. Let's not keep looking backwards. And so I'm going to step that's off well of that box. <laughs> no, that's well, that's well said, because I think that's the confusion of saying, uh, you know, we're born into this role of lacking privilege, and I'm doing air quotes, mm -hmm. and then you're born into this role of having privilege, and that makes you the perpetrator of sin, the sins of thy father. And the truth is, if you look historically, you look back at, like, let's say the Quakers, or even the Irish and the Polish, and you say white people have privilege. It's like, which white people are you talking about? Because there yeah. was a time where the Irish couldn't have uh, any, any, any businesses. There was a time where, and, and you can, look, you can, again, this is where you get to the comparison point of who's had it worse, and at what time, and for what reason. Look, if you're being, if you're being subjected to somebody else's authority over your life, across history, which most groups have had, that's not okay. Yeah. Period. But you have to recognize, like you said, we're playing forward. And if we keep looking back and we keep resenting what happened in the past, we'll never get to move past it. It's a lot, it's a lot like trauma. You yeah. Know, it's, it's, it's the same as trauma. If you keep looking back and having flashbacks and you don't address what you're going to do to move forward, it doesn't matter how often you look back because you're not resolving it. Totally. hundred percent all day money on that. Yeah. Yeah. I just get, I get fed up with people just not wanting to move forward, especially when it comes to language, because at the end of the day, it's like, we all have different definitions about what certain words mean to us. And as long as like, and I agree with Jordan Peterson on the way he constructs his conversations, because he'll ask you, what do you mean when you say this word? He's mm -hmm. not trying to alienate you or make you feel as though you are less than. He's trying to understand your definition as one should. And it's not just that he's the prime example. It's just that he's been criticized the most for trying to align definitions within a conversation to progress a conversation forward rather than typically what happens is one person saying, why would you 
why are you trying to figure out what do I mean? You should know what I mean. And then they'll say a, a word such as you're problematic. Ooh, my least favorite of the whole list. Least favorite of, yeah, both, oh, of, like, both of our least favorite words. Like I fucking hate that word. It's not a good word because not like not used this way anyway. It's not a good word. Yeah, exactly. Because it, it's it's just it, it's pitting one person against another and saying you're other than me. I am on the higher road. I am virtuous. It's like no, yes. you're not. It's, it's I, I could go on and on and just ramble, but uh, let's get back to uh, the main point here. So, Lindsay Shepard, she mm-hmm. um, is uh, what's the professor's name again? Rambucana. Rambucana. So Rambucana brings in Lindsay Shepard after she so, showed this video to the class. Um, and Nathan Rambucana, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just going to call, right. call him Nathan for right now. But Nathan brings in Lindsay Shepard after, after the class has happened. And as far as she knows, this was like a very good class. All the students were attentive. They were, you know, they were um, asking questions. And to her... It seemed as everyone was fine. No one took offense to what they uh, just witnessed, which was a conversation with Jordan Peterson. And who was the other person? Do you remember? Jordan, you know, let me look it up real quick. Jordan Peterson and let's see. But, please, you know, keep going. I'll, I'll find it for you real totally. quick. And so Jordan Peterson's having this conversation on screen. After class, she's taken aside by Nathan and two other professors are there. The two other professors do not know why they were called into the office they do not know um the exact details and they're going to discuss these details Lindsay Mm -hmm. goes into the conversation thinking that this is a very um orderly way um it's a it's a tribunal of sorts it's following the rules of the academy she's a ta she doesn't really understand what's like really going on nathan's alluding to that there's something even bigger here and um just for the record their conversation, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, was off the record, correct? With, with Lindsay? Yeah. So it was, yeah, uh, more or less. I think what happened is, and this is just uh, total, totally just based on the optics, and it's, uh, it seems like what Dr. Rambucana did was he brought in two colleagues and, and ganged up on this girl but didn't actually tell them uh, what the game he was playing was, and they thought it was some sort of official conversation. Now, Lindsay, to her own admission, uh, got wind that she was coming into something hot, uh, hot and heavy because they referred. To, they said that we were going to have to have people from uh, basically just a, a group that moderates uh, behavior on on campus uh, based upon minority uh, in relation to minority groups and protects and protects the interests of those individuals. And so I think those individuals came in thinking, oh, we're, we're coming in for something official and we're just going to talk to this girl. What Dr. Rambucana did was it was it was it was vicious and cruel, in my opinion. And he 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 must have said problematic in a 47 minute. <laughs> yeah, so many times. So like must have been 15 times. I lost count. And he and, and not only did he call her showing the video problematic. He said, you created a toxic and unsafe environment for some of our students to engage with. And, and Lindsay's response, which was so beautiful and eloquent, she did cry during part of it. I felt her frustration. I felt oh, yeah. her pain. I was frustrated just listening to it. Even oh, my God. in, I was like, what the absolute fuck are they talking about? It was gut-wrenching, right? It was just like, shut up. You guys are bullies. They were trying to bully her into, into thinking the way they wanted 
there was a point, I think it was about 25 to 27 minutes in where she said, I should have used the word problematic. So she did break ground at some point, but initially she said, I don't see what's wrong with me neutrally showing two sides of the argument and they said you made it unsafe and she said the world that they're going to walk into is not going to be safe and they said they weren't ready for that Rambo is like they're not ready for that she goes they're 18 and 19 years old they're adults. they're adults and he goes yeah but they're young adults if this was a graduate class then that would be fine because it was an undergraduate class they weren't ready and you hurt people what well, fast forward though after the investigation and i think this still holds water there were no actual students who complained this was all this professor's delusional sentiment about 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 what happened because far yeah sorry to cut you off but he yeah. has biases against jordan peterson right he had biases against jordan peterson and uh you know a lot of people are, you know dr peterson ruffles some feathers he only comes with facts uh when he has these debates the facts that he's read through the literature. He is a scholar. He's a, I, I consider him a very, a very in, intelligent and brilliant man. Yeah. Um, you don't have to agree with his politics, although his politics really are neither here nor there. He's never actually talking about politics. He will speak on, and correct me if you, you, you don't see it this way, he speaks on the elements of what could be described as a political argument, but he's making more of a human argument when it comes yeah. to interactions. He's yeah, a yeah. psychologist. That's what no, he I does. Yeah. 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 He's setting up the structures and the foundation for a proper communication or a dialogue can be had. Yes. So part of the conversation, and, and I'm trying to find the professor he was talking with's name. It's not readily available to me, uh, or at least I'm looking for it. And I'm having a hard time talking and finding it. But essentially, they're on uh, the agenda with uh, Steve Pakin. And uh, what's funny is after this whole thing went down, um, I think the president or prime minister, whatever they say in, in, in Canada about like who's you know leading the school in the States, we have the deans and we have all that. Basically, someone of that level ended, you know, after all this stuff, does not admit that what Lindsay did wasn't wrong and just apologize. This shouldn't be, she's like, it shouldn't have been handled this way. It's like, this shouldn't have happened at all. Yeah. A, and B, you're wrong. Admit you're wrong. Here's what happens. The plot thickens. Totally. And to anyone who's like, oh, man, I don't really like this story, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but we got to get into it as part of a freedom of speech. It's a big, big case that was really an oversight on my part, as, I, as this means a lot to me. Um, I missed it, but I got it. I got it two years later. Well, and so, it's still applicable today. It's so applicable. It's still going on. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a huge court case going on. Uh, Lin, uh, Lindsay has a $3.6 million lawsuit with Wilfrid Laurier because – they they essentially tried to go on a shock and awe post-traumatic stress routine on this girl and they tried to beat her into submission of not literally not literally but emotionally but in, in every other way yes yes in every other way they 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 said her master's work was at jeopardy they said her ta ship her job was in jeopardy and basically you're you're not basically you are literally um condemning someone's uh, professional uh professional possibilities yep you're, you're condemning it to death right there because you're just you're cutting it at the roots yeah so, so if you don't talk like us uh you're not getting a doctorate right if you don't talk like us, well, it was a master's but if you oh, don't talk with if you don't talk like us you're not getting your, your graduate degree you'll never be a professor which was her goal and that may never happen uh it may happen but it may never happen now she's done a lot of uh a lot of engagements talking about free speech and what it means 
to her and, you know, to her own admission, it wasn't a huge topic for her, but that was one of those things that like in English common law systems, I take it for granted. I've always taken it for granted that I could say, speak my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but these days I don't because I recognize, and I, I've, I've been in academia. I, I recognize when I run into those situations where I have somebody who uses this strategic language to try and subvert me, calling things toxic, problematic. I've asked somebody what they mean by problematic. They yeah. did not like the question. Oh no. Yeah. They, they, they just assume you should know why it's problematic. It's right. like, Hey, I might know why I think it is, but you need to at least tell me what you think it is so we can continue the conversation. Right. I uh, had a friend who was watching a show with me and she said, Oh, that's, that's uh, that's problematic. Uh, and I said, what do you mean by that? She goes, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? I said, well, that sounds really clinical. What do you mean problematic? What's the problem and what just occurred? A joke had just, had just gone down. It was kind of a guy trying to pick up a girl and she goes, oh, he's problematic. And I go, well, what if I tell you that the two characters actually fall in love and they're a perfect match and that they build upon each other and make each other better people? What if I told you that? Yeah. I just ruined the show. But what if I told you that? Yeah. And, and, and she was like, it's still problematic. I'm like, how is it problematic if she loves him? Partly because right. of that cocky bravado. You know, why is that problematic? It, it's, it's, it's so silly. It's just a dismissive. It's a straw man. It's totally a straw man. Actually, that's a great segue to Heterodox Academy. John yes, Pickens, yes. Because they say don't make a straw man, make a steel man out of your – uh, Ooh, yeah. yeah. I fucking love that, right? Isn't that nice? Yeah. Make a steel man out of who you're talking to. Make sure like, – believe that who you're talking to may know what they're talking about. Yes. And that's, that's a, kind of, uh, a kind of respect – that you should have in reverence you should have for someone don't you think oh totally and i think that should be repeated (laughs) like when you're talking to someone assume that they know something that you don't know just treat them with respect and if they're utilizing words you don't agree with align your definitions so the conversation can move forward i love that do not Mm -hmm. hit your words against someone else and say oh they should just understand no, no one should ever just understand. We do not have some fucking cord to the matrix that downloads every single freaking dictionary that exists in everyone's mind. It, no. just, it doesn't exist. It, I mean, maybe the matrix does exist, but that cord <laughs> doesn't have, we don't have access to that just yet. We do not. We, we barely have access to uh, 10 feet out in the air. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, so uh, I'm trying to find a professor's name, but during that Steve Pakin interview, mm-hmm. That professor, uh, uh, that individual said uh, that biological sex is a lie and that there's no such thing as biological sex. And, and uh, they said that um, I could get into that right now, but in the interest of time, I won't. And I was like, get into it. Get into uh, that. That's, yeah. a, that's a big yeah. bullshit statement. That's a, that's a super bullshit statement <laughs> because like, like, we're, com- we're saying that science and language are like, we're conflating the two into one topic. It's like, no, yeah, we had to develop language to describe science. Sure, we could switch out all the fucking words in science, but that doesn't change the fact of what the fuck we're seeing. It does. It just doesn't change it. Like, you can tell I'm getting heated. This is something that I deeply care about. <laughs> Same. It's really important. It's happening. Uh, they. This is a group of individuals, whatever you want to call them, postmodernists, you want to call them neo-Marxists. They don't speak for the groups they speak for, by the way. They do not. You don't get to speak for a group unless you are voted in or by popular demand. You yeah. don't get to speak for a group. I, I, I really don't like that. If, if I were to say, 
uh, let's just say I, I, I was part of a, a minority group called the Flugelborgs. If yeah. I was part of the Flugelborgs and I got up and said, hey, man, I'm, the, I, I'm a Flugelborg and I, and I can speak for the group, wrong. Dead wrong. Most times, yeah, most times. Yeah. Most times, man, unless I'm talking about this, something deeply fundamental and agreed upon, across, agreed upon across the board, I have no right to speak for that group. Totally. And I feel like this statement comes up pretty often where it's like, okay, hey, I'm going to speak for the flugelboards, but you know what? What you just said is offensive to flugelboards, but, you know, in my opinion, it's actually really offensive. I can't speak for the flugelboards, but, you know, we're going to work with what I'm, how I feel, and, I, and, right. it's, and it's generalized still across on top of, across the board, which is... Right. It's a fucking bullshit statement. Right. And anyone who's not part of this group is inherently racist against this group or prejudiced against this group by the sheer merit that they are not part of the group. Yep. And I think, you know, if you watch like what was happening with like the, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of weirdness to the BLM movement that's going on. But the one thing that was really cool was seeing how many, how diverse the crowd was in, mm -hmm. in, in, you know, a lot of white people, a lot of people of color all around, a lot of most, there's, most people are kind of a mutt anyway, these days, yeah. or, or have some sort of connection to, to a, a different group. I, I don't know, you know, I know a lot of white people, but I also know that they have their own group memberships within them. I mean, maybe you have an Irish background. So like this whole idea of whiteness, it's like this whole idea of blackness that there's like, there's African Americans and, and that's all of them. It's like, no, somebody who's not, a, who can trace their lineage, not to Africa, but to somewhere else, it does not necessarily fall under the categorization of African American. And it's the same thing. It's like, the fact of the matter is, black was a grand sweeping uh, word that was utilized because you didn't know what someone's origins were necessarily, but with a certain melanin and skin tone that they had, you could just kind of blanket them under this thing. And for the longest time, we used the wrong label of African-American to like encapsulate a group. What if you're from the West Indies? What if you're from Jamaica? Right. What if you're from somewhere else and you can track your lineage back? And what if it has nothing to do with slavery? So it's the same thing if you use it for white people and you say, ah, you know, all, the, all these Norse, you know, Aryan Norse fuckers walking around and it's like no dude like you could be from poland you could be from russia you could be jewish there's a whole debate in that you know so mm -hmm. when you when you do that and you generalize as you said you're just in just this murky water it just doesn't make any sense yeah in gen I, I wrote something once where i said in general it's best not to generalize and Facts. i think that holds water just yeah totally and just to sum that up it's just yeah like what you just said don't generalize don't throw blanket statements like, the moment you start throwing blanket statements you need to verify what you're saying you absolutely need to verify what you're saying and if you can't gain group consensus then you're gonna have to say from my perspective and no one else's yeah and that's really important that's different than standpoint theory standpoint mm -hmm. theory says i can speak for the group based upon group membership individual experience is still important it gives us a piece of the puzzle but it's it's still your lived quote end quote lived experience yeah that's your own personal experience and that it belongs to you and you alone yeah and i'd rather hear about someone's lived experience rather than what they think is the group's experience or an opposing group's experience right i'd rather hear what they have literally seen done been existed like i want to hear that i don't want to hear anything else like yeah yeah that's how I feel. You can give me your, your perspective on the group, but don't tell me how the group feels. I don't exactly. like that. Exactly. Yeah, because like, there is no fucking, I don't know, robot that is fueled by 
how the group feels and we can ask that robot. No, no one knows except right. for this false reality that's created within the group. And it's, it's very hive mindy, right? It kind of mm-hmm. reminds me of, uh, if you guys don't know, uh, a, a moral fiber, it's a really small, uh, small little podcast on YouTube by, by a neuropsych student named uh, Ryan Alexandria. She's really cool. And she discusses how that hive mentality works. And I think that there's an overlap with, uh, group think and, and, and some preconception that you have the group consensus in mind is that totally. you, you're totally just you're globbing yourself to the group in a symbiotic fashion like a like an amorphic creature and it's yeah. like no you're you're an individual and like so your individual experience can't speak for the group but we're, we're kind of we're tangenting yeah yeah here. back to back to Lindsay. so Lindsay shepherd uh essentially what she did was she got she got wind that this was going to go down and she came into the meeting and she had her laptop out on her lap and she recorded it she and in in uh ontario uh all you need is a single party to be aware that there's a recording for you to record it now she told them she was taking notes she wasn't lying she was taking notes oh yeah and she got it all recorded she she held her ground beautifully don't you think i mean she oh, she yeah. stuck to her convictions pretty damn well she stood her ground and uh, asked really good questions, had really good clarifying moments. Um, yeah, let's keep let's keep moving along because uh, I agree that she she st- she did stand her ground really well. She did really well, and so she's gotten involved with certain groups. There was one professor that came to her rescue at the end of of of, uh, of the day. Uh, somebody who on who as part of the faculty at Wilfrid Laurier saw this as an issue and was writing uh, about it a few years before. Um, I'm trying to pull his name up as well. I had it written here, but he essentially said, I, I saw this come in a while ago. And when he was writing about it, he claims that because of the, the, the culture that was starting to build up around uh, these, these identity politics issues, he was starting to actually be ignored and dismissed by his, uh, David Haskell is his name. Mm. And he was starting to be ignored and dismissed by his uh, colleagues. But in academia, once that starts happening, it's like hot waters. And you become a pariah. If anyone spends any time with you or engages with you, uh, now you're part of the problem too. Like, why do you, you know, I think we saw recently with Ellen DeGeneres, like getting getting roasted because she went to a, a, a what a baseball game, was it? Or basketball game with George Bush? Oh, yeah. And it's just like, wait, because she spent time with this man who you don't agree with she's bad now by association get the fuck out of here yeah that, that doesn't that doesn't work and that's not how that's not how that works <laughs> and that goes into the freedom of speech argument is that once freedom of speech is is, is uh encroached upon freedom of association goes out the window you're you're not allowed to have an association with somebody who speaks in opinions that you don't agree with and at least by this way of thinking yeah that's not right Mm-mm. It's kind of that's kind of like the selfish kid who says, uh, "I won't be friends with you if you're friends with them," and it's such a childish, sheltered mentality. Totally. And part of the, it's an ultimatum. It's an ultimatum. Part of the literature shows that this type of thinking actually comes from a sheltered place, um, not an unsheltered place. Not always, but 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 some of the time. Yeah. And because you want to create a you want to create a safe place. You want to you want to create a place where you have trigger warnings. You know, there are no trigger warnings walking down the street. If you have PTSD and from a gunshot and a car backfires, there's no trigger warning for the car backfire. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Not at all. And, and you Not can't get the person who, who had the car backfire arrested either. No. Not at all. 
And, you know, you can listen to that and say, that's a specious argument. Human beings have choice. Yes, that's true. But you should be choosing to do the things that are difficult for you so that when challenging moments arise, you have the, the, the faculties, the, the steel mind, the steel spine to, to stand up in the face of them. You're like, oh, it's hard for people with PTSD. Yes, PTSD is a challenging diagnosis. It's a challenging uh, physiological um, dilemma because you are preset to react. Mm-hmm. But there's exposure therapy, which is one of the number one, one ways of treating PTSD. And that involves exposing you to the things that you don't want to be necessarily want to be around willingly. Totally. So that you can handle it when it happens uh, unwillingly. Yeah, and 100%. So the fact of the matter is the psychological literature sound. It's Exposure therapy has been around since the 1950s. This is not, this is not it's new. Nothing new. It's nothing new. So... Fast forward, Lindsay and, uh, and, and this professor, David Haskell, get involved with a group, Jonathan Haidt's group, again, the uh, social psychologist from Howard, uh, or for Stern's Business School at NYU, um, which is called Heterodox Academy. And I, I think we should talk about it a little bit. Totally, yeah. Um, let's see, where, where do you want to start? Let's, uh, let's start with, let's just start with their, with their main tenets. And maybe, if you don't mind, uh, you might want to read it off. Sure. I think I have it. It's called the heterodox way, right? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So uh, there's uh, essentially five tenets for the heterodox way. And I'm just going to list one through five. And then we can get into detail a little bit more. But the first one is make your case with evidence. Number two, be intellectually charitable. Number three, be intellectually humble. Number four, be constructive, and number five, be yourself. So I really enjoy looking over the heterodox way because honestly, this is like a very simplistic um, viewpoint and uh, vantage and perspective of essentially how to orient yourself in a conversation with almost and nearly anyone in the world. Um, and now I'm going to go through and I'm going to just read off uh, one through five of you know what each one means, uh, at least to the Heterodox Academy. So number one, make your case with evidence. Link to that evidence whenever possible for online publications on social media, or describe it when you can't, such as in talks or conversations. Any specific to statistics, quotes, or novel facts should have ready citations from credible sources. So number one, the whole thing is making your case with evidence. And I, I agree with that. It's like, we all run into this one situation when you're talking with someone and they state some, some fact I wanted, I wanted it. My gut was saying some bogus fact, but that's mm-hmm. a subjective mm-hmm. feeling. Sure. So, you know, I'm having this conversation and they, they say the fact and I'm like, where'd you get that resource? You know, where, where's your resources? And here's the point that I hear often in the world. Why do I need to cite my resources to you? Or, what do you care about where I got that information from? It's like, okay, that's the, that's like, you don't want to build a straw man. You want to build a steel man. And so when you're able to come back with, Hey, I read this here, or you're able to describe where you got it from, because not everyone's a walking duck, duck, go search engine. I didn't reference Google because yo, we're (laughs) moving forward. Duck, duck, go is the way. Um, so if you can't, you know, just be like, oh, I pulled it up from this resource and this credible, you know, citation, it's like, 
don't play into their game. Describe it to your the best of the, your ability to move the conversation forward. Make your case with evidence. Don't don't succumb to the straw man theory. Just you know, what, what do you think about that that guy number uh, two? I would just say, uh, you know, I've, I've even heard Jordan Peterson go, uh, I don't know why somebody asked him where he got it. He couldn't remember in the moment and they're pushing him. He said, I don't know why I'm actually obliged to, to just have that knowledge at hand. And, you know, the, this is the first time I've ever criticized the guy. I would say he got hot under the collar and uh-huh. he, he got annoyed. I would say, if you don't have it ready available, say, I'm going to look back at where I got it, but just know I got it from a source. I'll send you that source and you can tell me what you think. Exactly. I think that's perfectly acceptable personally. Super acceptable. I've done that in conversations and, you know, I've lost a few friends that way where they're like, I can't believe you're sending me articles after the fact we had this conversation. I was like, well, I did say I was going to send it to you and Mm -hmm. I stuck by my word and that's the, the resource I pulled it from. And then there's other people in my life where they're like, wow. You know, I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for sending me these resources. Um, I still don't agree with you, but hey, man, I love you as a human being. Let's, you know, keep being friends. And those yeah. to me are the beautiful people. Yeah, if, if you can do that, that's, that's, that's what, uh, like what we talked about last time. It's the inner circle mindset. That's someone you want. Somebody's trying to keep a good ecosystem. Like, and yeah. uh, to, to put in perspective, though, for this group, this group is, and you went through the, uh, you went through the opener here, right? Yeah, well, actually, point- I, didn't, I didn't even go through the, uh, the opener, I just went through one through five, but if sure. you want to, um, go through the opener real quick and then we can jump back into two and then describe each, uh, each one thereafter. Sure. I want to give some, some, uh, some context for what heterodox is. So heterodox Academy is comprised of nearly 4,000 members from a range of demographic backgrounds and academic disciplines, holding various institutional roles all over the United States and beyond There are members in Canada, as you, as you will remember, Lindsay, uh, David, uh, both are in uh, Canada and in our Ontario. So they both are, are members. Actually, Lindsay won their, uh, I think it was the Heterodox Academy Student of the Year. I think, nice. I think, I think she won some sort of position like that. And that's, that's wonderful that they, that they supported her. Um, as would be expected from a heterogeneous network, our members hold a range of views on virtually any topic up for discussion. As an organization, we prize pluralism and we value constructive disagreement. However, we do not promote viewpoint diversity for its own sake. Our primary goal is to improve research and teaching at colleges and universities. Keeping in mind, viewpoint diversity does not mean every viewpoint uh, necessarily is, is one you want to entertain. If you've got a group of Nazis talking to you and the group consensus is that you know uh, Nazism is bad, which I hope that's the group consensus for most people, yeah. You don't necessarily want to entertain that. You don't shut them down in a public forum, but, uh, you know, so they go, they go forward. We recognize that institutions of higher learning are not public squares in the traditional sense, but rather sites for the production and dissemination of knowledge. Again, academia is not a public area, but it also shouldn't be treated so privately that you dismiss any ideas that you decide don't belong in, in uh, that don't belong. And that's arbitrary. To facilitate these objectives, we embrace a particular set of norms and values, which we've taken to call the heterodox way, HXA way. We encourage our members to embody these in all of their professional interactions. Guy number one was getting into what those were. Yeah, we just spoke about number one, which is make your case with evidence. And when you don't have that evidence, just be able to describe it to the best of your ability and then move forward. And if you have the audacity to do it later, which I encourage most people to do, 
send the resources that you scrounge back up to, to whoever you're speaking with if that line of communication is available. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you already mentioned number two with make a steel man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Be intellectually charitable. Yep. You want to, yeah, you want to read that one? Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel like uh, you have a better take on viewpoint diversity. No, you know, I think I think the point is we both have a viewpoint on viewpoint diversity. Totally. But, you know, what's what's acceptable, what's not. We may differ. But essentially you want to you want to recognize that you want to be charitable to the to, to the person and you want to separate them out from their opinions. So you don't want to attack them. If you say, I think that's, that, God, there's even a way to do it wrong. You could say that's a stupid idea. And by association, that individual might think you're calling them stupid. Mm-hmm. But if you say, I don't think that idea holds water. Yeah. And they go, Ooh, what do you mean? You know, they might get upset, but you didn't attack them personally. So you can still maintain a, a cohesive and constructive conversation, in my view. Um, let's go down to number three, which, which would follow up that with, you know, I think this is, this is a beautiful. They definitely spent some time crafting this, you know. Totally. Be, be intellectually humble. That would be the other side. If somebody says to you, your opinion doesn't hold water or, or that you don't agree, then you need to like accept that you might be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. To be genuinely open, as it says here, to be genuinely open to changing your mind about an issue. If that is what is expected of a interlocutor, Interlocutors. Interlocutors. That that's uh interlocutors are people who are engaged in a civil debate or dialogue. Oh nice. Thank you for that uh word mm-hmm. back up. Absolutely. And then uh acknowledge the limitations to one's own arguments and data as relevant. Yeah, this mm-hmm. is uh yeah, this is this is one of my um you gotta acknowledge yeah, you got it. Totally. Yeah. You don't yeah. know everything. You're not the, you know, Britannica encyclopedia, even the Britannica yeah. encyclopedia don't even know everything. Like, Nope. Pretty black just, and white. Yeah. <laughs> there's no way that you can know everything about a topic. And there can be a moment when someone who doesn't know anything about your field at all can point something out that you never even considered. Mm-hmm. So be humble enough to take in that viewpoint and not to, um, attack them, not to make it personal, just, just listen to the idea, like judge it for the idea not the person saying it. Right. Don't listen to respond is is the way I think of it because that's a, that's from a a book. That's another Jordan Peterson book, 12, 12 rules to lice, uh, antidote to chaos. And he says, uh, don't listen to respond. I think that's 12, 12 rules to life. sounded like you said lice, (laughs) 12 rules to lice, uh, wash it out three times a day, shave your head, uh, check your crotch region. Yeah, seriously. And make a circus when you can. (laughs) Yeah. Make a circus when you can make sure they're not a highly intelligent lice. You don't want to kill a sentient being. Yeah, Um, seriously. (laughs) But yeah, it, it's, uh, you want to be humble about it. And you know, I like the next one, which is be constructive and, I always try to do this when I sit down with people, although not always perfectly and not always, uh, not always in the way I want, but at least I know where I want to be if I don't land there mm-hmm. is what is my intention for this conversation? They say, be constructive. You know, you don't just want to criticize a, a possible alternative because it, it elicits an emotional response. 
And this goes back to some of our other episodes, like anxiety. Um, how do you, you, you got to recognize and label your emotional state in regard to what they said before you just start responding, or you're going to respond in a really reactive way. They make a good list here. You see this here? Yeah. That, yeah. You know, contempt, hostility, snark, sarcasm, uh-uh, out of there. Call yeah, avoid those calling people Stalin or Hitler or Mao or the Nazis. Like, yeah, let's reserve those for when those actually count. Yeah. The moment someone's like, you know, not to make a comparison, but like, it sounds like you're talking, you know, you're comparing your, you know, such and such to Hitler. Like, it's just like Hitler. It's like, that is the weakest argument in the drawer. And unless if it's applicable to the conversation, we're not talking about Nazis. We're not talking about Hitler and we're not talking about the Holocaust. Like if we're talking about something entirely different, do not bring that into the conversation. It's just blasphemous. Right. Eugenics is not necessarily Nazism, but it is an, it is a thought. It is a idea that is not really palatable, but like if somebody's promoting something like a, like a grand sweeping elimination, just say that sounds like eugenics. You don't have to compare them to this horrible group. Totally. And like, yeah, exactly. No, I, th- I think that's enough on that one. Sure. And the last one I think is all yours, man, because you're the most yourself guy that I know, even when you're being guy number one or guy number two. Oh, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, number five is just be yourself. And um, yeah, I, honestly, like being yourself for me really does encompass like all the other tenets, you know, making your case, being intellectually charitable, being intellectually humble and be constructive. And that's how, and that's how I am myself, because like when you ultimately own who you are and you know what you know, and you're willing to be open to other ideas, being yourself is the best defense. Um, You don't want to pretend you don't want to have a mask on. If you don't wear suits, don't wear suits, you know, like just own it. And as long as you're owning it, there's really no label or corner that you can be put into. Absolutely. Um, being yourself means that you are, because you know, you're in a space where, where intellectual pursuits and, and conversational pursuits are, are our goal. You get this opportunity to, to actually be authentic and not hide behind your hands and in the sand. And that's kind of part of what our podcast is really about is that although we, we throw up the anonymity for that irony that we stated earlier that we have to hide in order to be authentic. Um, I found that people who want to come on here and who have come on here really have enjoyed being able to play in the intellectual swing set that we've set up where they yeah. can just say, they can say what they, what they believe to be true. They can cite the evidence that they uh, rely on and they can, they can bring it up. And I think the fact that you can't do that now or that people are afraid to do that now speaks volumes about the climate we're in totally totally yeah and and i think like the biggest thing that this this whole this whole episode right here i mean if you're embracing you know these five tenants you know good on you but ultimately and uh, this is me speaking what i'm trying to push is like better conversations like like i don't like it when people are like oh i'm just trying to you know encourage a friendly debate like Mm -hmm. let's let's get rid of that word debate moving forward not that we can't have one but i don't think that enough people in the world understand um how to constructively have a debate so we need to digress a little bit and just focus on the dialogue dialoguing conversating is where the money is at 
And because a debate says there's a winner, a debate says there's mm-hmm. a loser, a debate says I'm defending my side, you're going to defend your side. No, a conversation mm-hmm. is what I am encouraging every single human being to do. And it's going to take guts. It takes guts to stand up for what you either want to believe in, stand for, or something that you've heard and you're being put to the test because someone's questioning you. I get so tired when someone is just like, when I ask them a question and then they get defensive, it's as if I'm asking, if I'm challenging their character. It's like, do you associate yourself so much with your ideas and thoughts that when they're challenged, that someone is challenging your very being, Mm -hmm. then you have a problem. Mm -hmm. I've often said that most uh, most battles, most wars are built upon one concept uh, in the English language, which is the word tacit. Tacit meaning uh, that which does not need to be described because it's so clear, something along those lines. Mm. And that's a feeling as much as it's an idea. And if you say, uh, clearly what I'm saying is correct. Obviously, this is the thing. This is, this is the way it works. Are you an idiot? You don't get what I'm saying. It's so clear. You must be an idiot and I can dismiss you. And that's what's happening is that, and you see it a lot on the ideological left. Oh, and, yeah. and that's that's really where where we we run into the possibility of of getting in trouble because we we've seen how far the left can go in extreme circumstances across time, but it can go. We don't know how far it can go in the United States and in in modern Western era. And just so, to balance that out, I think it's I think it's on both sides. It's it is on both sides. The far left, sure. it's the far right. I mean, for sure, the moderate. Yeah. The moderates do not have a big enough voice. <laughs> The moderates don't have a big enough voice, but I'd argue there's more moderates than there are the other two factions. There's just a, there's just a bleed over. Yeah, they're um, just loud. They're just, you know, yeah, both sides are loud, but the middle core group that like are living their lives and doing their thing, uh, they're just like, I don't agree with you totally. I don't agree with you totally. I guess yeah. I don't have friends. I'm going to go do my own thing. Pretty you much, know? yeah. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just, and the more I, I think the older I get, the more moderates I actually meet. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very interesting that the uh, that at least in this country the ideological hue uh, is is crumbling. It's eroding at the at the edges because as you as a party gets more to its side, so as the left gets more left, as the right gets more right, they lose people because by contrast, the people who are classic, let's just say, are the last wave of that group, mm-hmm. now look like they're the other side. By contrast, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh man, I, I've oh. Uh, the, the countless times I've been considered either super far right or super far left over just conversing over some ideas just because I wanted to have a conversation about some ideas and they were like, how dare you entertain those ideas? You are now labeled this in my mind. And, and mm-hmm. they really let me know it in the conversation. Absolutely. Freedom of speech, guys, is it's in our constitution in the United States for a reason. It's it's there to protect us because when things get unsafe, the strongest weapon, or not even unsafe, when things get tumultuous and, and uncertain, the best way to find clarity is through the word, through the spoken word. Yeah. That's, that, that's how we do it. That's, that's just how human beings do it. And to, to think that you can silence someone because they don't value what you value in the way you value it. Maybe they value the same. I, I, someone say, I don't think we believe in the same things. I said, I think we want to get to the same place, but we don't agree on how we're going to get there. Yeah. And that's, that's a big, that's a big thing. Oh yeah. Um, it, but, but it means that at least we know where we want to go. Maybe we can get there together if we compromise, if we get, right. if we, and that's, that's the whole point of politics. I thought, I think is 
you're trying to get there together, this partisanship, this, this unruly behavior that we have going on on both sides, it's yep. not tenable anymore. It's, we're in a time of, of, of uh, existential crisis and pandemic yeah. crisis. And we need, to be, we need to be working together more than ever, not running away from one another. Totally. And, uh, and, and on that note, man, drop the identity politics, like at the front door, like get rid of it. It's not benefiting you. It's not even going to help you in the long run. You're, you're just treating other humans as other, not even being human anymore. You're dehumanizing them by even, even on the left with the ideological left using, uh, identity politics in the way we describe with Lindsay Shepard, uh, if you are, if you're making group identity paramount, you've just dehumanized someone you're trying to treat in a more humane way. That yeah. is, that's, that's bonkers. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> Oh, come over here and, and you can be treated like human, but until you, uh, you know, do you're other. And if you die, cool. We actually hope you do. <laughs> oh, you have to break that one down for me. That got a little vague. What do you mean by that? It's just like, like there is basically what I'm saying, what I'm hearing is like when I hear the identity politics come up and they're just like, well, one, like if you conform with us, we'll treat you as human. Ah, if you give us fealty and loyalty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sure. But until then, we hope the latter. Yeah, we, we hope that you're wiped off. Yeah, I think it, I think it has that um, uh, removal, uh, wiped off the chessboard kind of, kind of feel to it. And you know, if, if you label somebody with a pejorative, you can just disenfranchise anything they've said and anything they will say. Yeah. And take that even further. If you label somebody with a pejorative and you show that there's some actions that, that maybe even point to that pejorative label being accurate, then you now have, like from the past, you now have grounds to dismiss them in their livelihood, yeah. in, in their own personal life. Guys, we shouldn't be trying to destroy each other's lives if we're trying to to uh, better one another. But I don't think that's these groups. I don't think they want to better people. They say things like reprogram, and there, you heard of those cases in the UK where people Once. are being arrested for oh, thought yeah. crimes. Thought crimes. Thought yeah. crimes. Yeah. What? What is this? 1984. Well, yeah. Oh, dude, that's like so funny because that's like in heterodoxes. Don't compare it to 1984. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> heterodox. <laughs> But yeah, that does sound like 1984 a little bit. That was uh, it contextual. Like, it sounds yeah, it was contextual. It wasn't pointed at any individual, but it was it was. It sounds like V for Vendetta, doesn't it? No, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. If you haven't seen V for Vendetta, that movie is a is a great articulation of how these things go out of hand. Oh, for yeah. sure. So freedom of speech. Here's here's what's going on with Lindsay Shepard. Lindsay Shepard has been banned from Twitter. Last I checked, mm-hmm. she got in, she got in a Twitter war with somebody. It just didn't go so well. Uh, she basically doesn't have any social media to protect herself. I think, uh, I don't know what Lindsay Shepard's doing. I know you've seen some recent videos of her. How'd she sound by the way? Oh, she sounded pretty good. I really enjoyed, uh, her, her, her viewpoints and Absolutely. I love how she just like, it's just, man, rather objective about what she's talking about, whatever it is. Like, you know, she spoke a little bit about the coronavirus. I really enjoyed the, her reflective process through it. I like her, her like mostly unbiased take. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, here are the facts, here they are. And then she'll say, this is what I think. Um, she seems really high on openness, you know? She's like, yeah. you know, playing the mediator. She's like, here's this idea. And then I see this on this side, but like ultimately here's where I lie right now. Right yeah, now. Totally. Right and, now. and it can change. That can change. You know, 
and that's the beauty of it, man. <laughs> I, I've I've been pigeonholed into that one so many times. Sure. And someone would just be like, "Well, you know, guy number one believes this," and I'm like, mm -hmm. "Well, actually, uh, if you remember, I I I agreed with you, and I admitted that I was wrong in my viewpoint. I've done sure. this, uh, you know, humbly so many times." And they're like, well, but you still had that idea. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't define who I am now. And that, that whole thing you can't change is ridiculous. Like we're not static images. We're not, no. we're dynamic, fluid images. And so is language. Language is fluid. Our time, um, though our perception of it is rather interesting, it's fluid. You know, everything around is fluid. Stop arguing as though it's fucking static. Absolutely. Nothing's fixed. Um, oh, and also on a side note, um, yeah. Lindsay Shepard, uh, Miss Shepard, if you're listening, please uh, reach out to info at just two guys.co. We would love to have you on. If not have you on, we'd love to just chat with you. Uh, deeply appreciate what you, what you did, what you're doing. Uh, it was brave. It took, it took the heart of a lion, I think. hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely. Mad respect to you. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think I would have crumbled under that pressure in a big way, at least <laughs> it wouldn't have been fun. <laughs> oh, no, I uh, de definitely would have shared some tears as well. And absolutely, ah, uh, man, yeah, I, I did not have the wherewithal that I have now. Um, you know, at her age when she was going through that, she must have been what twenty two, twenty three. Have to look that up. Yeah. She was a master's program straight out of college, so she couldn't have been much older. Seriously, and good and good on on or straight her out of university. Yeah, good on her for ha maintaining um, ground. You absolutely. Know? You, you impressed me. She impressed me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you so rarely see someone articulate themselves so beautifully under pressure like that, especially yeah. pressure they weren't really sure they were walking into. Oh, uh, yeah. That composure took such an understanding of self and what you believe and what you said the university stands for, which is a place where people can learn different perspectives and to, to make up their own mind is so valid and so true and we need to get back to that any place that we're not doing that anymore i agree um and i, and I, <laughs> I just this thing this one moment's totally off the it's kind of relative but it's it's kind of funny to me i, I really agree, yeah. yeah i thought it was hilarious how um nathan he was just like uh how would you feel if you know we started talking about you know, like women's rights in, in the conversation. And then he, he, he says a few other things. And then she was just, uh, Lindsay's ask, asks him, Hey, could you clarify what, what, what are you asking? He actually stopped saying what he was originally saying. And then said, if you were a trans person, how do you think you would feel if, uh, if you showed the same video that you showed and that's just an awful point of view and also he regressed off of the original point of view because sorry women's rights is a fucking movement it's a thing yeah and that we all talk about you, you know like he's he was really looking for a way to like put the nail on the coffin and bro there was no nails there was no nails dr rambucana if you ever hear this if you're listening to this i implore you to to change your your to be willing to change your point of view on this and, and to be willing to uh, to take ownership of, of your role in this matter, this, this uh, incredibly bright individual who worked for you um, did not deserve this treatment, 
was totally, in my view and in the view of the public in a large, in a large scope, in the right to do what she did. And I think she enriched your students' experience. And I, I really hope that you take some time and some meditative thought to contemplate on the possibility that you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. And uh, if you want to talk about it with us, again, send us an email. We'd love to have you on. Absolutely. So guys, I think we're coming to a close here, but just to leave you with some thoughts, uh, freedom of speech is a right. Hurting other people with your speech is not. You make a decision as people what hate speech is, harm speech is, speech is. We're all going to have to figure that out as we play along this game. What we should never be okay with is breaking some eggs as we go while we figure it out. That should never be okay with you. If you're part of any movement or any thought, you should not say, okay, well, if we get it wrong in a couple instances, so be it. We don't want to have anyone who is, is subject to that. We don't want to have people accidentally on death row. We don't want people accidentally losing their jobs. We don't want to make, we don't want, I, I personally don't feel that it's a good frame of mind to be in to say, if we break some eggs along the way, if we get it wrong a couple of times, at least eventually we know we'll get it right. That's sacrificial. That's martyrdom. And that's what this, uh, this, this trio of professors tried to do. Uh, not martyrdom. It's sacrifice. Mm -hmm. it, that's what these, these professors try to do, the Lindsay Shepherd. And, and uh, I, don't, I don't care for that behavior. And Lindsay, you behave admirably. Yeah, I 100% agree. And uh, uh, just for, for me to leave some uh, final notes for the listeners, like, I ask yourself a few questions. Um, do you, are you a conversator, a uh, person who creates dialogue or are you constantly debating? Are you treating people who don't agree with your ideas as other? And uh, one final question is uh, that I would wanna implore you to ask yourself would be is, um, what words do you have in your vocabulary that are ultimately subjective, meaning you know what they mean for you, but when you utilize them in language, they're utilized as a weapon, such as normal, good, bad, stuff like that. Start analyzing the way you speak. Don't moralize language and don't demoralize people. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Well. Alrighty, y'all. I uh, appreciate everyone who uh, tuned in. Please send us an email at info at just two guys.co. And that's the number two. We also have an Instagram, which is at just two guys podcast and a Twitter, which is at just two guys podcast. And that's CAS. They wouldn't allow us to put the T in. And yeah, send us a message. Uh, give us a follow. Um, share out our podcast. And uh, yeah, ultimately, we're here to spread good ideas. And I know I just weaponized that word because I only want the best ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Good ideas means ideas. Yeah, it's just ideas in general. Yeah, totally. But yeah, we're here to have a conversation. So. And I hope you hear this. If you go out with your friends tonight or you get on Zoom or whatever the hell people are doing these days, maybe bring it up. See yeah. If you can keep a civil dialogue. It's worth, it's worth practice. I agree. All righty, y'all. We'll talk to you later. Bye. All righty, folks. That was it. That was episode 10 with just two guys talking. Topic being freedom of speech. Thank you so much for listening. And if anything jumped out at you, send us an email at info at just two guys.co. And it's number two. Or send us a message on Instagram at just two guys podcast. 
We would really love to hear from you and uh, deeply appreciate you if uh, you're a returning listener and even if you're a brand new listener. So thank you so much for tuning into this one. This one was a, a very, very lovely topic for us to unravel. We both had fun, uh, guy one and guy two. We we love this one. This is, a, this is one of uh, the deepest topics that we are continuously harping on, especially if uh, you know us in person. Till next time, talk to you later.